the 2nd of May, 2006. Dear Mum and Dad, The days seem to move along at their own pace. Some days fly by, and others creep along. We are officially at the halfway point now, though. I can't believe that I've been here for three months. In some ways, it feels like I've been here forever. In others, as if I just got here. I'm sort of getting used to things, I guess. I try to remind myself to appreciate every experience, even the ones I don't really enjoy. I have been thinking a lot about fate lately. It was such an accident of birth that we ended up where we did when we did. That we are where we are now, with the choices that we have available to us. It seems to me that we have such a burden of responsibility to make the world a better place for those who are born into far worse circumstances. It is more than donating money to charities. It is taking action and trying to make things better. You have both shown me that throughout my life. But here, I realize it more than ever before. My current job and role in Afghanistan is part of that. But it is more the NGOs that come later. They are the ones that really make the difference. I like to think that my being here means they will be able to come that much sooner and operate more freely. I will be looking for more opportunities to volunteer in Wainwright and to try to really make a difference. It is very humbling to be here, part of something so much bigger than myself. Love always, Nicola. I'm Shannon Busta, and you're listening to For Her Country, a podcast produced by the True Patriot Love Foundation and the Captain Nicola Goddard Fund. Over the course of this series, we'll explore lessons in leadership from inspirational female leaders from across the Canadian Armed Forces, all in honor of fallen Canadian military hero, Captain Nicola Goddard. The clip you just heard was from the last letter Nicola sent home before she was killed in a firefight in the Panjwe district of Afghanistan. It arrived the week following her death. In today's episode, I speak with Sergeant Leslie Blair of the Royal Canadian Air Force. Leslie is the most recent recipient of the Captain Nicola Goddard Award, which recognizes young Canadian innovators and trailblazers who have made a significant contribution to Canadian security and defense. And I think that after listening to our conversation, you'll understand why Leslie was so deserving of this honor. And I want to take this opportunity to thank RBC for generously supporting this podcast series as presenting sponsor. RBC has been an advocate of True Patriot Love since 2010 and has committed over $1 million to support Canada's military members, veterans, and their families. Thank you, RBC. And as I already mentioned, our guest today is Sergeant Leslie Blair of the Royal Canadian Air Force. Leslie was born in North Bay, Ontario, and grew up in a military family, which gave her the opportunity to travel and see many parts of both Canada and the world. Shortly after graduating from high school, Leslie joined the Canadian Armed Forces as an aviation systems technician in the Royal Canadian Air Force. Leslie has been in the Air Force for 13 years. Her first posting was as a propulsion specialist on the Hercules aircraft. One year later, Sergeant Blair deployed with the Tactical Airlift Unit to both Camp Mirage and Afghanistan for three rotations, totaling seven months. She is currently a member of the 423 Maritime Helicopter Squadron and resides in Nova Scotia with her husband. 
Leslie, thank you so much for joining us on For Her Country today. I'd like to start off our conversation by asking how you found your way into a career in the military. So finding a career in the military is the perfect way to frame it, actually, because I was a little lost before joining, you could say. Um, My parents are both military, so it always seemed like a, a viable option for sure. But I decided to go to university first. And um, it just didn't really work out for me. Um, And I didn't actually end up joining until I was uh, 19. I definitely found myself when I joined as well because the the structure um, that the military provided was absolutely what I needed to get my life together and, you know, excel. You mentioned that the military is kind of a family tradition. And so growing up, did you ever feel any pressure to pursue a career in the armed forces? No, I didn't feel any pressure whatsoever. It wasn't something that was discussed. I was that kid in high school that had pink stripes in my hair. I had a pink truck. Um, I liked going out mudding and stuff. I wanted to be a teacher or a thespian, you know, like I just, it it doesn't, wasn't even on my radar really. It really came down to just feeling the lowest of lows, you know, like really feeling like a failure. You know, I just, my parents had paid for my first year of uh, university and at that point I really didn't think that I was ever going to go back. Like it just wasn't for me and I didn't really know what I wanted to do so my only option was okay what can I do to make my parents proud kind of thing so I instantly by choosing to resolve this feeling by making my parents proud it it made myself proud of you know of my accomplishments but yeah no uh my parents never pushed it on me whatsoever So when you finally made this decision to pursue a career in the armed forces, did you already have a sense of what you wanted your element to be or the type of role that you wanted to fill? My mom is an aircraft mechanic as well. So she she joined as an airframe tech and later on the trades amalgamated so it was it became aviation systems technician Um, so I didn't even think of any of the other trades I just joined as an aviation systems technician that's what I wanted to do Um, you always give three choices Um, I think I chose some of the sister trades so there's avionics systems technician and uh, aircraft structures technician so I probably chose those two and had no intent of accepting an offer unless it was exactly what my mom was doing kind of thing. And so as you were growing up, seeing your mom in her career, did you get the sense that she really loved what she did? Yeah, she was in the military for 33 years. She retired as um, a wing chief warrant officer, so she did extremely well. She had the time of her life, opportunities, traveled the world, deployed, led, you know, had trials and tribulations and struggles and all of these wonderful things that she overcame. And through listening to her and and having her as a mentor for my first 19 years before I joined, it just seemed like the only option was to follow in her footsteps, I guess. I'm getting the impression that she was a pretty incredible role model for you. Oh, she's she's pretty amazing. And and I say she was my mentor for the first 19 years. I'm 33 now and uh, that continued on. You know, there wasn't a day when, you know, I was Private Blair. Uh, they now have it. It's aviator. They, we don't call them privates in the Air Force anymore, but I was Private Blair. And uh, there probably wasn't a day that went by that I didn't call her with, with something or, you know, even still to this day, I, I read my 
uh, my report card to her at the end of the year, my evaluation and stuff like that. She's just a huge part of my um, where I am today and where I want to go as well. We all need our cheerleaders, and it sounds like you have a really good one in your corner. Uh, can you walk us through the timeline of your career and what you actually experienced once you finally made that choice to join? So I joined in 2007, and it was at the height of Afghanistan. So they were recruiting a lot of uh, new people into the military then. So they had an overflow of basic trainings in Gagetown, New Brunswick, and they also had an overflow of um, basic training that went to um, Borden, Ontario. So I was one of three courses that was uh, ran by these instructors that weren't typically basic instructors. It ended up being a super motivational experience. Um, the instructors were really happy to be there. They were excited to teach us um, what they knew. Even when we go for the runs in the morning, it wasn't about, you know, who was falling out at the back. It was about motivation and, and coming together as a team and when I think of what transformational leadership is you know that charisma and inspiration and it was like all of those things together it was just um, a very exciting time and I, I felt like leaving that course that I could really take on the world so that was basic I mean this is like 13 weeks of my life and it really kicked off my career after that I went to Borden, Ontario to um, CIF State, so Canadian Forces School of Aerospace Technology and Engineering, um, and that's where we learn how to fix the aircraft. I was there for the, there's Common Core course, which is about three months, and then there's the, the main aviation systems course, which is nine months long. Uh, after that, I went to my first posting, which was Trenton, Ontario. There I worked on the Hercules and uh, I got to be a part of the engine empire. So we were, I was a propulsion tech and it was, again, the time of my life. You know, I got to, to learn this, uh, it's the T-56 engine inside and out. And uh, what comes along with learning the engine and working on an engine is you get to run it. So you get to be ground run qualified, you know, take a Hercules, pull it out to the ramp, fire up the four engines. There's nothing, more amazing than sitting in this massive aircraft with four engines running it's just like it's just the epitome of being an aircraft technician for sure okay that sounds pretty invigorating it is it, it is and now so so after trenton so uh i actually got my first tour there so in 2010 i deployed to afghanistan with the hercs and i got to do three uh 56 day rotos they called it but most of them uh they never ever ended on the 56th day it was usually around uh 60 or 70 days and then we'd come back and then uh, get ready as a group and we'd go back over just a, a constant rotation for one year and then after after all of that, I, I moved to search and rescue for a bit, did some search and rescue exercises. There is no better feeling than being a part of a, a search and rescue squadron where you, you feel the mission and, uh, you know, it's just a, it's, you understand your purpose kind of thing. And then posted to Shearwater where I am now with the Cyclone helicopters. That's pretty much it. And can you give us a sense of how common it is for women to be in your field? That is a very good question, and I think about it a lot because there's times when 
I look around and I feel like we're progressing. And then like today when I was at work, I was the only female. So it's progressing, but it's slow. There's always been a handful of females for sure. How has that been for you, especially when you first started being one of a handful of women in a male-dominated field within a male-dominated industry? I think it took me a while to wrap my head around the right way to go about it because for the very, you know, for the first, I want to say, 10 years of my career, and I've been in for 13, so I've just figured this out. I really tried to be genderless, you know, like I really tried to be one of the boys and that was the main goal for me. If I want to be successful, I need to be one of the boys. What I learned was that that's not the case. When I think to like who taught me that, why did I learn that? It was from looking at other women that didn't have to do that. Was there a moment when you came to this realization that the way that you had been portraying yourself to that point in time wasn't the only way that you could go about finding success within your career? There's a few things. I, I definitely was in the time frame when the Canadian Armed Forces was really acknowledging it themselves and um, training us. So we had some gender-based analysis training and um, it was more visible. But there was really this one uh, pilot that I met one day and it was just a fluke that I met her. We were in an aircraft, civilian aircraft, and I heard this this lady, you know, three rows ahead of me and she's talking about the cyclone helicopter. And I was like, wait a minute, like I work on that. And there's not very many of us. So I kind of, you know, acknowledged that somebody was talking about it, made note of who it was. And then we just happened to both meet in the bathroom. And um, I met her, we hung out while we were waiting for our our next flight. And um, she just turned out to be one of the the biggest mentors that I've had when it comes to being a woman in aviation. She is uh, very proud and strong and educated when it comes to all of that stuff. So actually just through talking to her and learning some better lingo and stuff like that, I ended up taking a women and gender studies course at Acadia University. After that, I've just been on, you know, the betterment of myself in the the realm of women in uh, male-dominated trades for sure. I've actually attended two women in aviation conferences. So it's just, it's been an ongoing journey for me. I'm Catherine Ross. Captain Nicola Goddard was my sister, and I'd like to make a request. Military service can bring great challenges and sacrifices. Women in particular can face unique issues. Help True Patriot Love and the Captain Nicola Goddard Fund support Canada's servicewomen, veteran women, and their families. True Patriot Love Foundation is a national organization that supports the military and veteran community by funding critical programs across the country. Please consider donating today towards their mission at tplgoddardfund.com. No donation is too small. On behalf of my family and the Captain Nicola Goddard Fund, we thank you for your support. This episode is sponsored by Canada Life. Canada Life has been a proud supporter of True Patriot Love since 2011, and we thank them for sponsoring today's episode. 
It really sounds like you have learned a lot about yourself throughout this process. I was wondering if you might have advice for other women in perhaps different male-dominated industries who might be trying to find that balance or find that confidence to be themselves. I would just say that when I started knowing my worth and uh, knowing what I brought to the table and understanding the skill set that was me, you know, like the things that whether they're um, feminine traits or not, it's just about bringing you to the table, being your authentic self kind of thing. So my recommendation would be just try it because you go from being exhausted to being completely liberated you know you sleep a lot easier when you when you go to work and you're yourself all day I love that that is such great advice and as someone who also tried to be one of the boys when I first started out in journalism I can definitely relate now I was hoping that you would tell us a little bit about what you do when you're not at work what inspires you what motivates you my hobbies are, it's funny, like I don't actually talk about hobbies that much with my coworkers kind of thing because I, I probably sound super boring. I, I'm very into my job. I, I love what we do. Um, so I do volunteer a lot with the, the military community. So back in 2017, we launched the Lynx One Voodoo Restoration Project. I had been uh, posted here for, at that time, three years because I came to uh, Halifax in 2014. And uh, there's a museum that I drive by every day on my way to work and it's right by the Halifax airport and there's this Lynx One Voodoo and for three years I watched that aircraft weather away. It looked really bad and I didn't really do anything other than acknowledge that it looked really bad. And there's actually a backstory to it as well. So my mom used to work on it uh, as a mechanic and my dad, he was a navigator, so he used to fly in it. And they remember when that aircraft got its Lynx One Voodoo paint scheme back in 1984. So my dad had actually loosely recommended like, why don't you wash it? It looks really bad. Like get a team together and wash it. So I think it wasn't until like two years after that recommendation that I finally got the courage up to go to the museum. So I contacted them and said, hey, I'm thinking about gathering a team of technicians from the base to restore that aircraft. What do you think? And their response was, there is a god. So the project was a go, no doubt. And uh, we fundraised money uh, through uh, GoFundMe, actually. And it was um, all of my mom and dad's old voodoo pilots and ground crew that donated all the funds for that. We got paint half price from uh, Sherwin-Williams and we just started at it. I thought it was gonna be a fun summer project but it ended up taking uh, closer to eight months and the aircraft looks amazing. What an amazing project. Uh, we will post some photos on the True Patriot Love social handles so that our listeners can see the amazing work you did. I mean, I can't wait to see the photos. Um, and I was hoping you could tell us a bit about uh, your most recent initiative. So Santa for Veterans, I started that in uh, 2016, actually. So that's the main project that I run every year. Uh, I was at uh, Remembrance Day, and I remember looking around and seeing the veterans and it's such a beautiful thing being a part of a Remembrance Day ceremony. But then it's, you know, when it's all over, everyone just goes home back to their houses and 
you know, we don't really think about our veterans as much until the next Remembrance Day. So um, I launched a program called Santa for Veterans. It actually started out as Santa for Nova Scotia Veterans because my wing chief warrant officer at the time, he said, keep it small, like, you know, like keep it local. He actually wanted me to keep it in Halifax. And I was like, okay, well, I'm doing all of Nova Scotia. And it was amazing. We had um, 32 veterans that were in need or alone over the holiday season. We gathered so many gifts. We delivered them. There was one veteran that um, had just moved into an apartment. He was homed by a, another veteran outreach program and he just got an apartment after being on the streets. The transport company on the base or the transport unit, they offered to fill his apartment. So they took on donations of um we even got a bed from sleep country canada for him it was just incredible the first year was amazing we we actually went and visited every single veteran and had like face-to-face -face interactions with them um and it was wonderful and that told me that you know this is something that we need to keep doing kind of thing and from there we've expanded to um the rest of canada and we try to send uh, big care packages to, um, there's a lot of um, homeless shelters that support uh, veterans. So we'll send stuff out to them as well. My God, Leslie, how does all of this make you feel? I mean, I can see our producer Katrina is crying right now. I'm holding back tears. This is incredibly powerful and what a, what a good to do for society. How did it feel for you this first year after seeing the impact you were having for these veterans? It feels amazing. I think I've always wanted to come up with something that was a little bigger. You know, I've done the things that are maybe a little more inside the military community or whatever and this just kind of feels bigger and the one of the the values that really sticks is we're supposed to take care of our veterans as and as military members you know when i retire i want somebody to make sure i'm okay too so it, it doesn't sit well with me that somebody maybe is alone or not doing well especially at christmas time kind of thing so Christmas for me is about Santa for veterans. Like, don't even bother sending me a gift, mom. Like, just help me do this Santa for veterans stuff. And and again, members from uh, 12 Wing, where I work, they, you know, they come in droves to help me pull this stuff together. And it's it's actually become, as we grow, more of a social media drive. So what we do is we, we actually put it out on social media. We have a Facebook page and we say, hey, we have four veterans in Victoria, BC. Who wants to send them a gift? And people from across Canada volunteer to send those veterans gifts. So it's like really cut out the middleman kind of thing. If you want to help and he needs a gift, you know, it's, uh, and it makes two people feel great because, um, you know, that first year, I got to feel great about those 32 deliveries. But now every single one of those people that sends a gift to a veteran who is in need or alone over the holidays, they feel amazing doing that. Leslie, this is brilliant. And what's the best way for our listeners to get involved or contribute in Santa for Veterans if this is something that they feel passionate about? So right now, the, the only way to 
to contact us is through Facebook. So we do have a Facebook page called Santa for Veterans. If you reach out, if you know a veteran who's in need or alone, let us know. They will get a gift. Right now I'm actually working on my Master's of Arts in Leadership um, at Royal Roads University. So I'm learning a lot about leadership and business and stuff. And what I've learned is that I really am the bottleneck. If 12 wing, my wing is covering Nova Scotia, It'd be really cool to offer this up to the other bases across Canada and see how we can scale it that way sort of thing. So I'm, I'm working on it. Definitely, if you want to reach out, Santa for Veterans on Facebook. Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. I hope that some listeners in our audience consider getting involved. I know that I'm going to get involved with my family next year. And now I want to talk about your award. In 2019, you were the recipient of the Captain Nicola Goddard Award, which honors a young Canadian innovator and trailblazer who has made a significant contribution to Canadian security and defense. So a hearty congratulations. I mean, based on our conversation, it sounds like you absolutely deserved it. Can you tell us a little bit about what winning this award has meant to you? How did it affect you? Everyone in the Canadian Armed Forces knows Nicola's name. Her story is is one of courage and leadership. She is exactly what us women want to represent in the Canadian Armed Forces. That award will go down in the books as the top experience of my military career. I was on the, you know, doing great things for my military community and I was working hard and all of that stuff but I have really significant goals set and I needed to know that that was worth it so I guess getting that award was enough to tell me that yes I am on the right path Uh, it added fuel to the fire you know it it really and honestly it taught me the power of awards and recognition it it makes me want to help other people feel that way you know like and, and so it's really opened my eyes to what giving somebody an award can do for them because I've just been on a path ever since, you know, I just want to take on the world. Congratulations again, Leslie. What an honor. And you really seem so deserving of it. And I just have one last question for you. You've been in the military for 13 years now, and you've told us that you have big goals. So it sounds like you're in it for the long haul. What is it about the military that makes you want to stay? I think the the thing that keeps me going is exactly that, you know, like I, I have big goals and um, there's people I, that are just there to provide mentorship that are always, you know, there to lift you up and, and um, develop you and stuff like that. So I think the military really offers a cool opportunity for people because we all start out as followers and slowly we get leadership opportunities and we get mentored and developed and um, there is nothing more that I would rather do than serve Canada before self. Leslie, thank you so much again for joining us on For Her Country today. It was an absolute pleasure talking to you and I think we all learned a lot and uh, I hope that we can stay in touch about Santa for Veterans. Cool, I'm in. I want to thank you all so much for joining us on this journey where we've learned about lessons in leadership and resilience from these incredible leaders in the Canadian Armed Forces. The podcast is going to be taking a two-week break, and we will be returning with a new episode for you on Tuesday, July 7th. Until then, stay safe. 
For Her Country is hosted by me, Shannon Busta. It is written and produced by me and Katrina Bullock. Our music is by Whiskey Wolf and Oceanic Piano. A special thank you to Catherine Rusk and the Goddard family and the team at True Patriot Love for their support throughout this project. And thank you to our series sponsor, RBC, and our episode sponsor, Canada Life. The letter shared in this episode is from the biography, Canada's Daughter, written by Sally Goddard. You can find it on Amazon. It was read by Anna Maximew. This project was produced with the True Patriot Love Foundation and the Captain Nicola Goddard Fund. True Patriot Love is Canada's leading organization that supports military members and their families. It administers the Captain Nicola Goddard Fund, which was started by the Goddard family to support women in the military in honor of Nicola. To learn more about this podcast and the great work of this organization, please visit forhercountry.ca and please consider donating if you can.